Welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Next up on the ABCA podcast is University of New Mexico head coach Ray Birmingham. Coach Birmingham is a great example of staying true to yourself and trusting what you teach. Coach Birmingham has head coaching experience at the high school, NAI, JUCO, and Division I levels. He's one of the best offensive minds in the game. He understands how to develop hitters with keeping things simple. Success has followed him wherever he is coached. He's won championships at every level. He has almost 1,300 wins at the college level. He spent 18 seasons with New Mexico Junior College, and in 2005, they captured the national title in Grand Junction. Coach Birmingham is going into his 13th season as the University of New Mexico head coach. He's led the Lobos to five NCAA tournament appearances. He's also a National Junior College, Lee County, and New Mexico Sports Hall of Famer. He's a true ambassador of the game of baseball. He's a bridge from the old school traditions and coaches to coaching in this new era. He's also passionate about building baseball in his community. Baseball in the state of New Mexico and the country is better because of Coach Birmingham. Get your pad and pen out because Coach Birmingham puts on a coaching clinic in this one. He also gives us a history lesson on the great hitters, hitting coaches, and coaches we've had in the game. Let's welcome Coach Birmingham to the podcast. Here with New Mexico head coach Ray Birmingham. Um, I, actually, Coach Birmingham, you and I haven't talked very much, but I feel like I know you because you're a great Twitter follow, and I've followed your career as a guy that I looked up to as a, as a young coach, just following how you do things and, and still do things. But thanks for coming on with me. Absolutely. You're paying tribute to coaches on Twitter right now and, and bringing a little bit of the history for all levels of baseball. Why did you decide to start doing that? Well, because I've, I've been around a long time and, and there's been so many people that have been good to me and helped me. And there's so many wonderful guys that I know that don't show up in, and um, on D1 baseball or some of this other stuff. And I go, you know what? Sometimes you just get to the right spot and, and you have a great team because the, the place helps you just as much as who you are. And there's a lot of great coaches in this country that I want people to know about that I admire so, so much. And, you know, I can go from Gary Ward to Gene Stevenson to last night, Gary Vaught. And Gary Vaught's an Indiana, Indianapolis guy, a dynamic man. And he's still got it. He's 67. He's got the energy of a 20-year-old. And he's from Oklahoma, so he can get you to buy a used car in two seconds. And, you know, I, I just love the guy. And there's guys in California. I've traveled the whole United States meeting all of them over the years. And, man, I just love them. They're just great people. They make, they make a positive footprint everywhere they go. Evansville and Oral Roberts were in the same league together in the 80s. So when Coach Vaught was at Oral Roberts, uh, Evansville and Oral Roberts used to tangle up back in those days. <laughs> hey, and we'll get into hitting, but I still feel like Gary Ward's interlocking sequences of parts video was probably the made the biggest impression on me as a young hitter in high school. Oh, yeah. My high school coach oh. would make us watch it. We watched it every year before the season started. And I, so I would take notes on that every year and I, you, you don't see it at all. And I wish it would actually come back. Well, trust me, I'm a big Gary Ward fan and, and because he broke it down, Gary Ward's a genius. Yes, he is. And Gary, Gary Ward is a genius. He's really, really intelligent and almost intimidating intelligent. And, um, but he's just a good down to earth, salt of the earth guy. And, he broke it down to a science and it confused people like, what does that mean? And pro ball went, wow, you know, that that's crazy. And some people got a little mechanical with it, but Gary didn't. <clears throat> but I remember, you know, back in the eighties, man, those video tapes that he sent out, and he made a little money off of it and he promoted it and marketed it. And now as I get older, I mean, it was genius. 
it was genius the way he broke down the swing. Well, people are making fun of like the constraint drills that you see now, but we we had the volleyball in between our knees. We had the straps on our <laughs> elbows back in the the early '90s. So it's like I, it worked for me. It it made my setup good. Like I I appreciate more of that stuff. The constraints where it gets you into a good setup to hit from. Um, but it did. Like my setup looked like Robin Ventura's. Because of call. short knees, short elbows, you know, the short yep. levers, the connection of, I always tapped the bat to the back of my shoulder because Gary Ward wanted some sort of connection. You know, he talked about he did not, not the connection with the swing, but the connection with figuring out where your body is in your setup, which that all of that made sense to me as a hitter. Yep. And how he, he, how he would have you sit in your legs. He had those chairs. You'd yes. sit on those chairs. So he's trying to get you to use your legs. And then how he would have you slide and turn. And, and because kids didn't know how to use their hips, they heard big hips, but they didn't understand. So they just did big hips and they pulled off the ball all the time. I mean, he was genius, man. It was yes. just absolutely genius. Hey, what do you wish somebody would have told you before you got into coaching? Do what? What do you wish someone would have told you before you got into coaching? What I wish they would have told me. Um, you know what, the, the thing that I wish that it told me is, is organize your off the field time to your family yeah. and us old school guys, we just went to work and we thought, you know, the family will be fine. We'll be back and I'm making a living and I'm doing great things and, and, and they'll be fine. They'll just ride along with me. I think that the ABCA needs to have time with coaches the young coaches and tell them, look, go home at five o'clock. Stop by this grocery store and buy some flowers for your wife because she's putting up with your sorry butt and write her a little card that you love her immensely and your children. You know, that's something we need to learn because we get so fired up about go get them. We think it's going to be okay when you get home. And there's been times my wife said, I think you love baseball more than me. And that's not true, but we have to learn that because we take it for granted. It's tough, though, and and some of that is growing older. You get a, a better perspective on things. It's so hard as a young coach because you see everybody working and you do make some of those comparisons. And so, you know, it is that, that fear of missing out at times that – takes takes a strong person to be able to to make that decision at a young age and I have a lot of respect I had a hard time turning it off um you know to a fault at times with recruiting with coaching um it, it was hard because you've been doing this for over 40 years you always feel like there's something still needing to be done correct you do and and nowadays it goes home with you because of the cell phones like yes when I started, it was, I mean, I don't even know we had answering machines. We were just getting them. <laughs> <laughs> who, who gave you the best advice early on? Early, when you're a young coach, who gave you some great advice? My Uncle Dick. My Uncle Dick was really good at developing our programs. He did a great job in Missouri for a long time. And, um, you know, he, he was such a good people person. He was such a good salesman. And he could see a difficult decisions and times coming way ahead you know when you got to release a kid from your team or or approach a parent or administrator he could see it a week two weeks three weeks a month ahead of time and set it up so it wasn't confrontational so that was that everybody was okay at the end and he was a you know he was a strong disciplinarian and he and he he knew how to deliver it without it being attackful you know what i mean like let's figure this out you made a mistake and let's find out a cure for it because you can't do this his his way with people and you know as as time went on i, I watched uncle dick do such a great job with it that it it, it it inspired me but i asked some questions of some other people that i got to meet and i was i roomed with bill verdon at a baseball camp and i got to hang out with tommy lasorda He's from, you know, he coached in Albuquerque and I saw him at the Johnny Bench Awards and, and I'm asking him questions. And, you know, I'm kind of being that young, like 
obnoxious coach asking a thousand questions. The guy's just trying to coach at camp. And they both, Bill Verdon at a different time and Tommy Lasorda at a different time, told me, Birmingham, just be a people person. Everything else will work out. Love it. And I don't know if we'll see someone like you. You know, you coached basketball early. You were at Mayfield High School, College of Southwest, New Mexico JC, then New Mexico. I mean, do you feel like we'll have anybody take that path again? It's become, uh, you know, back when I started, it really wasn't as marketed, promoted, um, a hierarchy and all those things. It was just grinders. These guys like to coach. And, and, you know, the ABCA was going, but it wasn't as big as it is now in the 70s. Um, so sometimes our coaching clinics where we find an older guy like Bobby Magels at Lubbock Monterey or, or Joe Ray Halsey at West Texas or Tommy McLemore up in Farmington, we'd meet somewhere in the lobby of a holiday inn, you know, bring sandwiches and some cold beer and, and, and throw down a pillow and talk about turning the double play. That's how we used to do it. And we would drive over to meet those guys. But now, you know, the way you guys have done it has made it, you know, pretty cool. But I don't know that that'll happen anymore. You know, I, I started out coaching JV high school baseball. And I really didn't apply for this job at the University of New Mexico. I, I was just, I was going to go make some money because junior college coaches didn't make a lot of money. And um, they called me. So, you know, just. A lot of guys try now try to jockey and, and politically maneuver and really basically just go do a great job and, and go to work and do the best that you can. People will see it, but that's not the way it goes now. I know it's, it's tough, but, but that had to be gratifying for you, whether you take the job or not, that they pick the phone up and, and call and ask you because that doesn't happen a whole lot anymore either. No, no, that doesn't happen anymore. But I think that that was because of those old guys told me, just go to work and do a fantastic job of where you're at and people will see it. It's just like kids worried about being seen to get drafted or, or get a division one scholarship. You know, I think if you if you put your your focus on being a great baseball player or being a great coach, you will move up. Yep. But I'm, I'm not sure people believe that anymore. I don't know. Any differences for you at each of those places? I mean, you go high school, NAI, JC, Division One level. What are some of the biggest differences between each of those? Well, obviously, the number of talented kids you have. Yep. Um, I think, I think the greatest coaches for me the whole time were high school coaches and American Legion coaches and Connie Mack coaches. Yep, completely that agree. Had, they had to take a kid that couldn't walk and chew gum and turn him into a player and. I mean, if somebody did it for Oral Hershiser because he went to school in California and he had to go all the way to Bowling Green to get a scholarship. <laughs> you know, so you, you, you never know when a baseball player is going to show up and when the light comes on and things click for him. You never know. The pecking orders that we see today, you know, the, you know, at 14 or 13 years old, we have a hierarchy ranking list across the country. We didn't even know anybody existed outside of West Texas and New Mexico. And we were just trying to be good ball players and try to find a good team to play and, and be impressed by the team. We, we, we want to go over and play, you know, Lubbock Monterey, or we want to go to Dallas to play the Mustangs or, or, you know, wherever it was. And we'd go, Whoa, those guys are good. But that gave us something to shoot for. And, and now they they're already making pecking orders way too soon for kids because I've seen, Way too many kids, way too many people jump, make a big jump in one year because they got with the right guy at the right time, and he he showed them the right way to play the game. I was in uh, I was in New York City. I used to get some kids out of the youth service league in the Bronx, and there was Manny Manny Ramirez hitting Coke bottle caps with a mop stick in the wintertime with Mel Zitter. And, and Mel Zitter did a great job and he was a Connie Mack coach and he did a great job for those kids. He gave them discipline. He gave them work and he did a great job to keep those kids from going the wrong way. I mean, we forgot that baseball is also a game to keep kids busy and on the right path. 
Yeah, you know, I think the hard part now is people like expect everybody to get it right. Like they expect every college coach and every parent or player that chooses a school to like get it right. And that's not realistic because even the best, like pro level, they don't get it right all the time. You look at the first round, there's going to be guys, many guys drafted in the first round that weren't drafted out of high school. So like even pro ball has a hard time gauging, you know, the development of kids and what you see in a kid right now, you look up five years from now, they're going to be different, either, either better or worse. Like usually kids yep. aren't the exact same. They're, they're either going to be better or worse than they are right now. And there's a lot of guessing to it, but I think it's unrealistic for everybody to think that everybody's going to get every, every choice right during this process. No, you're correct. Um, it's not a, you don't know, you can't, you can see physical tools. You can see energy and work like Bregman, yes. Alex Bregman. Alex Bregman, you know, grew up here and hung around here. And um, the one thing that I saw was his determination and energy and his ability to listen and learn. And he wasn't afraid for somebody to tell him that's not good enough because he would come and show me and I would say, yeah, yes, that's that, that needs a lot of work. And he would say, I'll see you in two months and then come back and show me again. He had, a, he had a lot of things lined up and his dad was, and mom were very supportive of him, but he was a down to earth determined kid. And you would have looked at him at eight in the eighth grade when I first met him and you'd have thought he just doesn't have there's his body type. It just does, but he made it, he made it happen because his mentality was correct. And he was, he was under control. And you know, it, it, Dansby Swanson, I mean, that guy's mental makeup is off the charts. And those are the things that I got to see as the mentality of the guy's, who made it not with great physical tools, not that they're not physical, but they're not the best athletes that came into pro ball, but they get it. They figure it out. They're smart. They're baseball players. Yeah. Tony Gwynn, Tony Gwynn, Tony Gwynn didn't go to San Diego state to play baseball. He was a basketball player. And, and, you know, a couple of guys went in to tell coach Dietz that, um, Hey, there's a real, the best baseball player at our school is not playing baseball. He's playing basketball. So D said, go get him. So they talked Tony into playing and, and Tony's makeup, Tony's makeup is what made Tony. I mean, Tony, Tony was a pretty good point guard too. Yes. Yep. But he was a, he was a wonderful human being. I mean, he was a hall of fame baseball player, but he was a hall of fame human being. And Dansby Swanson is a hall of fame human, human being. And so is Alex. Alex has a big heart. He cares about people. And he's not, he's a great team player. He's not a selfish guy. And those are the things that you see make up that make a winner, make a guy determined to get it. And he's not afraid of failure. He's not, they're not afraid of failure. What were the similarities of all those levels, you know, of, of all the places you're at, what are the similarities? The similarities is that there's a passion for the game by the kids. They, they want to be, they want to play baseball and they want to get really good. And they, some of them are realistic about it. They just want a moment in time and enjoy it. Um, you know, junior college kids are more rough, but I love junior college. I loved it because the, the ability to develop and work without any constraints was off the charts. I mean, we could play all the time. In, in Hobbs, New Mexico, there wasn't a whole lot to do other than go to school and play baseball. So kids developed and they wanted to develop and they wanted to work and they wanted to get better. And NAIA was wonderful. It was pure. Um, back then, DBU was a team I had to beat to get to the World Series. And Jimmy Harp at DBU, who really built that program and made it famous, um, he was very helpful to me as a young coach. Like, you know, I, I, I want to see if you can beat me. I'll help you. And that's the way it used to be. It yep. used to be, he would call me, I would drive from Hobbs to Dallas and he said, I got a big tryout camp and I want you to participate in it. There's some good players here and I'm in the league with him. He, I got to beat him to go to the world series. And he's pointing out the good players to me to say, Hey, you need to get that guy and you need to get that guy. And then we get to the tournament and, um, and I got him, I got him beat. And I'm thinking, this guy, but then we threw a double play ball away in the ninth inning and we got beat. But that's what the way it used to be. Tommy Chandler at Texas A&M 
Mark Johnson, who followed him, came through here yesterday to see me. Um, it was a brotherhood, and we were all excited to see who could get baseball right. I said that earlier. I was on the morning brushback with Dan Blewett and Bobby Stevens, and I told that at the end. I said, we still need these stories, that the young coaches need to hear these stories because we all got help along the way. Somebody paid it forward to us along the way. And, you know, we need to, to pay it forward to the, to the young guys, the new guys that are coming out because it's not being in coaching is not easy. Uh, the, the journey, the sacrifices that you make uh, early on are, are not easy, but there's shining examples of guys that, that have done it. Um, you know, you're a great example of a guy that has been in baseball your entire life and has made it work and had a lot of success at, at every level that you've coached at. Uh, so there are blueprints um, of still being able to do it that way. You can do it that way. And we, we have to remember, you know, in what I've noticed in colleges is, is professional baseball is trying to ooze into our academic setting and take over the importance. And it's not. That's pro ball, and this is academics with baseball, and that's not the case anymore. Now guys want to – you know, it becomes about money, and, and, and I'm sorry, money's the root of all evil. <laughs> it is. It is. It yep. is. And it's, that's, that's distracting us from a healthy culture that we had at one time. Um, you know, I've watched just so many – Gene Stevenson's a great story, Wichita State. Now everybody drives up there and sees that beautiful stadium. But Gene Stevenson took that program over when it was nothing. Yep. It was chain link dugouts. It was chain link fence. He would pull an 18 wheeler flatbed into the back behind the backstop to double the size of his stadium by putting portable bleachers on top of it. And that guy could raise money as good as anybody ever in the history of college baseball. I saw it firsthand at Evansville. You know, him, I think about him, Augie Garrido, you know, the Fullerton was changing in their cars before games, driving to, to away games in their own cars back when Augie first got to Fullerton. We're the same way. We, yep. we were in the top 20. This program jumped in the top 20 in the country, and we were changing in our cars. We did not have a locker room. We did not have a toilet. And I, and I love you sending the updates up now. You know, I'm happy for you. I know how proud you are of getting some of the renovations done at your place. I've had opportunities to go to other colleges in other parts of the country. And, um, you know, you pe people think about investments and they think about financial investments. But there's other investments in life, investments in your family, investment in a community, investment in friends that will be with you and grow in a lifetime. So I couldn't leave the state of New Mexico. I had too much invested in the state of New Mexico. And I had committed myself to making sure that the baseball kids in this state had something special like other states had so they could play games. So our field's going to be used for the state tournament now. And, and then I, there was not too long ago, they were finding out they were playing their state championship games somewhere in a field that wasn't worthy or they were having to pay exuberant amounts of money to use the pro stadium here, but fit with their schedule. And it just wasn't, it wasn't fair to the baseball kids. More money was being, more attention was being put into basketball and football in a state that I felt like there was a lot of baseball players in. And they, the kids now have since proved that, that there are a lot of baseball players in the state. Coming into the 2005 season at New Mexico Junior College, did you think you would win the national championship? I thought we were getting close. I mean, just getting out of Texas is hard. I mean, the great Jack Allen from Ranger Junior College way back in the 70s, you know, they were, it, was, it was a mentality. Dave Van Horn was in that league. Rob Childress was in that league. Frank Anderson was in that league. There were a lot of guys in that league, man. It was competitive. And, uh, you know, uh, Skip Johnson at Oklahoma, Tim Tadlock at Texas Tech. I mean, it was hard winning that league. And if you can win that league, and we kept getting close, I thought if we can get out of here, that next one's not going to be near as hard. And, you know, which 
going through that Texas door is hard. There's a lot of good teams that never get through that door that could get to Grand Junction and win it. You've had five regional appearances at New Mexico and and two first place finishes that that didn't get an opportunity and and we all know sometimes with selection and all that um, you, you got to go out and win your tournament sometimes and Oral Roberts deals with that a lot in the Summit League. Um, that that team that those two teams that finished first place they as good as as the regional teams that that made it. Yeah, because you get in the tournament and then, you, you know, in tournaments, you know, uh, it can be over in a heartbeat if you make one mistake. Hey, you know, Mark Johnson and I have had a conversation about that because Mark's on the selection committee, the old Texas A&M coach. When, what a great human being. Him and his wife just had a a weekend in Santa Fe here. and and uh, He's an executive at, board member. I get a chance to see Coach Johnson. I, I flew back from one convention – um, I think it was Anaheim a while ago and got a chance to sit next to him on the plane and we got a chance to to tell old stories. It was great being able to to spend time with him and then also see him at this year's convention. Yeah. Him and Ron Polk coached here at one time at New Mexico on their young days as they were bouncing around. And um, then they went over to hang out with the legend Jerry Kendall, who was one of the greatest teachers of the game there was. But those those guys, the conversation I had is we need to rethink college baseball now because now it keeps growing. It keeps becoming more important. And, it, and we can't say, well, this is the way it is. We can make this as viable as those coaches back in the 70s and 80s that got the College World Series on TV. Yep. We can make baseball as attractive and as viable as basketball and football. It will continue to be objective about our changes, objective about inclusive and being inclusive yep. and, and promoting regionally north, south, east, and west, and not establish a hierarchy that keeps people out. We gotta get be inclusive. Yeah, I mean some of the some of the mid two thousand changes with the roster cap and twenty five percent rule and um, you know, all of that stuff helped bring some parity that the starting date common starting date was another real change that I think helped everybody feel like they at least had a chance and you know the numbers prove that out you look at the teams that have won the national championship that in the old days wouldn't have been able to do that and then teams that get there for the first time you're seeing more and more of that now and that but I agree with you from a revenue standpoint, um, there's a couple tweaks that we can probably make here going forward that, that should continue to help everybody be revenue producing programs as well. Well, Skip Berkman came from Miami and he learned from the legend on how to promote, on yeah. how to sell that guy, that guy could sell ice cream to an Eskimo. And so, he fit, he made a ballpark. He made a program. He, he was a general manager. Pretty much is what he was. And there's a lot of baseball coaches are trained in that art because they don't have any help. I mean, when you're coming up, it's you, it's you and your energy and your work ethic and your, your creativity to make it happen. So that's the great thing about baseball coaches. They're different than the rest of the coaches in college baseball. For sure. And they know that and they are, they, they embrace it and they're excited about it. And, we'll, and I think we can continue to promote and include, include, including is really important for me, not in a country that's already divided. We need to be united and we need to continue to say, Hey, come on in. How can we help you? Not how I can protect me, but how can I include you to make, give you the same opportunity that I had. And I think that's the mentality, basic bottom line we have to, to use to make baseball where everybody can't wait to turn on the TV to watch that game. For sure. I think you're one of the best offensive coaches we, we have. Um, your numbers prove that out. What, what has changed for you about how you're doing and writing the hitting development calendar for your hitters now as opposed to when you first started? Or is it the same? No, I haven't, I haven't changed. I mean, the, the, the game hasn't changed. The way you deliver it has changed, obviously. So now I have to um, 
I call it empty in the garbage can because they come in with so much garbage. I have to go dump it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh my gosh. And I go, son, the, the guys who get to the big leagues, they're spending time simplifying their approach and their swing. And you have spent money complicating it. And we've got to get rid of all that because it's not that hard. And the, you know, I, I go speak at clinics and I'll, the first thing I'll ask is, you know, what's the most important, we go to mechanics. I go, what's the most important body part in hitting? And I get scap load. I get launch angle. I get, I'm like, Oh my God, it's out of control. And I said, no, it's your eyes. Yes. Yes. And, and, and nobody answers that as it's unbelievable. Well, and the numbers prove it out. You know, they're so smart now and they do so much testing at the big league level. I, you know, just the the better hitters have better eyesight. I mean, they're twenty eight. They're pre yes. eight, baby. They are predisposed to seeing the ball better, and and that really is as simple as you can get it. If if you come out of the womb and you can see better, it's not a guarantee, but at least gives you a, a better likelihood of hitting better than everybody else if you can see better than everybody else. Yeah, because it does because. Great eyesight, and you can improve your eyesight. You yes. can work at improving. Instead of working on that hit, hitting uphill, let's work on your eyesight. So you, because if you see, if you see really well, it does something that all of us used to say all the time: it slows the game down. Yes. What are some of the tweaks you do with when you get a hitter and? say he's overcomplicating things, what are some of the things that you do with your hitters to kind of strip it down for them? We have a saying that's back from the, the 60s and the 70s, which used to be important because they had to put signs up on the ballpark all the time because guys were doing too much of it and chopping up the grass and denting the fence, and it's pepper. Yep. And so pepper's really, really, really a good, easy drill because, one – Everybody has today's world. Our children have been bathed in the power mentality and the power mentality. I mean, if you ask pitchers to go, who do you want to pitch against? Like, I want to pitch against a guy that swings out of his keister and tries to hit a home run. I can get him out every time. So pepper pepper is really important. We call it hard pepper. Yep. So I went, so I, I've recruited all over the Co- world. Coach, for guys who maybe don't know, how, how are you setting up pepper? And you talk about hard pepper. So, you know, are, when you're doing pepper, obviously one hitter, and for anybody that, that doesn't know pepper, you've got a guy <laughs> close throwing, and you've got a, a guy at the plate or in the outfield with his glove on the ground working on bat-to-ball skills. How are you laying it out and how close, if you want them obviously with some, some harder contact, how close is the guy playing throwing? Do you have the old line with the, the five or six guys catching or is it one-on-one pepper? How are you setting your pepper up with your guys now? No, it's four, it's four guys out there catching the ball and it's guy playing pepper. And it's just how to handle your body and how to handle a bat and start feeling things you've never fell before and if you get really good at it you won't pop it up you won't hit it over their head you'll you can call they can throw it wherever they want to throw hit it to the guy that you want to hit it to on the ground it's just back control and body control because today we want to run as soon as we're born as a baseball player we want to run when that means we want to hit home runs and we don't slow down and learn to crawl walk and then run. You can always turn it up, but learn how to learn what body parts do, what what each one of your body parts is for in hitting, and how to be on time. And nobody tells them that. We just throw them balls, and then we tell them this, and they hit, and they think that's good. And we, you don't, you got to really teach, teach, and let the kids become their own hitting coach because that's what I'm trying to do. And just like a math teacher and an English teacher. You're going to walk out of here and you're going to, you're going to go home, do the homework and I'm going to give you the foundation. You're going to figure it out. How much, how are you balancing mechanics versus approach? We use them. We do them both. We talk about them both. We talk about, we talk about all those things. We talk about where you stand in the box. Let's take Alex Bregman, Alex Bregman, Alex Bregman 
his first year up, he was about three inches off the plate, four inches off the plate, backed up. And he was trying to spray the ball around the yard as he always did. And he, you know, he backspins a little bit. We want him to backspin. So he got with his hitting coach, Jason Columbus, who was one of my players and uh, said, Hey, we got a short porch and left. So they're making adjustments. Adjustments are part of the thing too. Yes. You, you gotta, you gotta learn to be comfortable making adjustments. So he said, why don't we climb up on the plate and just hit everything out the left that we can and see if we can get 40 home runs out of this little, little guy here. And you know, they did. So those are the kinds of things that they're comfortable talking about and comfortable making adjustments because most kids, they pay a lot of money to a lot of different guys to make that thing that they do. And they're confused. And when pitching gets really, really good, they're done. And they've got to learn, they've got to get comfortable making adjustments. Well, Mark, Mark DeRosa was on this week and, um, I use Twitter a lot and I follow Twitter, but the, the title was, and I'm sure it was to get people to, to pay attention to it. He's talking about Springer and he's talking about launch angle. And so he put up side-by-side videos and one was from the beginning of the, the summer and, and then now, and he's talking about, well, he must've made a, you know, not focusing on launch angle anymore. And you can see, well, he's got a slight tweak in his setup. His knob of his bats face towards the catcher. And, and obviously, probably with the amount of more reps, his timing probably got better. So his stride length was a little bit longer because he was probably starting on time. And how much of that for you is just making a small tweak? I think people overcomplicate it. How much of it is with the guys that you're getting of maybe making a small adjustment tweak with their setup or where they're standing in the box? How much of it is that more than some of the things that people talk about to overcomplicate the hitting process now? Well, um, I got, you know, I've been lucky to be around a lot of guys and I, and I'm all ears when I'm around them. And if you go back and look at the history of hitting, I mean, Ty Cobb hit with a split grip and he felt something, you know, and then, so I just, I'm a classroom when it comes to hitting and I don't, cookie cutter anybody because everybody's different launch angles great for a big guy that's got some juice but my sister can still run under a she's 52 she can run under a high fly ball and catch it so if you weigh 145 pounds that's probably not good for you yeah you need to stay low i mean you you need to stay lower than a guy that that can elevate and put the ball in the air and get it out because us little guys that tried to elevate, those are F8s and F9s and F7s, and eventually you go 0 for 10, 0 for 20, 0 for 30, and then you're going to be on the bench. Way back in the 70s, Charlie Lau talked about positive outs, and they don't even know what positive outs are. You know, I'm going to hit the ball over there. I may get a hit, and I may get out. But if I do, somebody's going to move into scoring position or score because I did that. And handling a bat, handling a bat and being skillful with a bat is what you should do. Then you can juice it up if you want, but you know, the the guys who are really skilled, I mean, I've watched them. I've watched Will Clark do some incredible stuff and he could handle a bat. Now, Tony Gwynn, incredible stuff with a bat. We do things like call your shot. We, we have screens all over the field. I saw that. I was going to bring it up. It's in my notes. You know, is, is that just now the the next transition to Pepper? You you take Pepper shorter, and then you're taking that walk the dog, call your shot to field during BP, correct? Yeah. You know, you learn – because truly what you're learning to do is handle your body, handle a bat. It, 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 with Pepper, you start with Pepper. I used to go to Puerto Rico all the time and they didn't take BP because they only had one ball, you know? So what they did is played Pepper at home plate towards the backstop and, and they didn't hit up in the air because now it goes over the backstop into the jungle and you don't want to go in there and get that ball. So, you know, it's just seeing how the world does it. There's a lot of things that, and we used to call it Puerto Rican Pepper because they would hit linears at each other. Yep. I mean, lenius. And the other good thing in that skill set is you learn to play infield because they're short hopping you. 
I read an article when I was growing up and it was about Pete Rose and um, I loved Ty Cobb. I loved Pete Rose. I loved Tony Gwynn, you know, all the barrel control guys. And then the Ozzie Smiths and the Willie McGee's and the Vince Coleman's and the Brett Butler's because that, that was my game was the get on base and, and try to run around and see how many runs you could score. But the article talked about Pete Rose during batting practice. He would lay towels out and he would try in the outfield. He would lay towels yep. out and he just would try from both sides of the plate from the left side would start at the, the third base foul line and work his way around the field. And then he'd go to the right side and he'd start on the right field foul line and he tried to work his way around the field. Yeah, it did. And then what's awesome about it is, and, and unfortunately, our kids were raised in technology, so it has to have an app, some bright lights, and it has to have a, a flash call. And, it, you know, the, it, it's simple. This stuff is simple. And there's been some simple things that guys worked on every day and stayed within themselves. If Pete Rose would have tried to hit for power, you wouldn't know who he is today. Yes, for, for sure. Yeah. But there's, in baseball offensively, like I will tell them, you're a table setter you're a table cleaner and nobody does that anymore. I mean, those are simple things to understand your role in this offensive chain that can happen. And, and I don't understand why, you know, like I posted yesterday about Rod Carew, you could pretty much count on Rod Carew being on base at least two times a game, if not three. Two strike Bonner was, was not scared to drag with two strikes. Yeah, why? Why not? The guy moves back, drag butt. Well, it could be foul. (laughs) (laughs) Or you could be on base. I mean, I I always, they would always come like, I loved my guys, but you would mention stuff like that. And they always thought about the negatives, but yet it was okay to try to hit a home run every time, which way easier to drag bunt with two strikes than it is to try to hit a ball out of the ballpark. Amen. Amen. (laughs) You're trying to win. <laughs> yes. Yes. At the end of the day, that that's really what it is about at the higher levels is whatever you need to do to, to score as many runs as you can, limit the other team from scoring runs, and win games. Like That's really as simple as it is. Score more than the other team and win win more games. That's it. Um, I always wonder why. Why wouldn't you put a guy like Rod Carew, you know he's going to single. He's, you know – you know he's going to single, and that's not so cool anymore. But you know he's going to single, so why wouldn't you let him be in front of – and he's got great plate discipline. Let him be in front of of uh, Aaron Judge, and now Aaron Judge hits two run homers all the time instead of solo shots. What do you do with your five-hole hitter? You know what? That five-hole is interesting. So it, it just depends on who you got on your team and how you put it together, you know. But – I'm I'm not so like I'm not so big about having a five-hole hitter being a power guy all the time, because my power guys are going to make they're going to strike out a little bit or pop up or something, and and now I just need a base knock. So sometimes I'll put a one-hole hitter in a five-hole. I just always felt like the four-hole guy was going to get pitched around and walked. So you needed Correct. somebody that was going to be able to move the ball with two outs. It was. It always seemed like the four hole guy was going to come up with two outs and a base open, and they're going to put him on or wa- or work around him. And so your five hole guy is going to be up there with two outs. And it just, I, I I'm the same way. I, if we had a barrel control guy that I knew was going to move the baseball, I would slide him into the five hole because we at least had a chance to either keep a two out rally going or score a run with with two outs. Correct. That's exactly right. That's me too. I I think. You know, I think because you need that pitching, you need that pitching coach in that other dugout to go, yeah, I can pitch around him because he could hit a home run, but he could also make an out and he's going to make an out easier than that other guy. Cause I know that other guy's probably going to hit a bullet through the 5.5 hole score run. Yep. For sure. So that I want to force decisions and you got to cover guys. You got to cover guys. Sometimes guys are not swinging so hot. So you got to, you got to move them around, and and that's the other thing. You got to make people comfortable. You know, they they say, "Oh, I'm just a five hole hitter, coach." And when you moved me in the lineup, I didn't know how to hit. Come <laughs> on. Oh, how many of those do you get? Because it used to drive me crazy. You're just one spot in the lineup, and I know everybody wants to be comfortable, but 
one through nine, it, it really shouldn't matter because you're trying to help your team win. But I mean, you, you do get a lot of those, don't you coach where, it, you know, it's your fault because you moved me and, and all this. Well, yeah. It, and it is a mentality to guys. And so you try to, during your practice times, you got to move them around. So they're comfortable with it. You've got to make people, the thing that we've done today is we've taken adversity away from kids and adversity is good for you. Yes, it is. It's really good for you. It makes you better. So let's be adverse. Let's make practice a little bit adverse for you. You can relax when you get home. Let's teach you how to adjust, fight through this. And because baseball is a 500 sport, you're going to get your butt kicked. It's going to happen. Part of building that grit muscle. You know, if you work through adversity and, it makes that next time that you face adversity a little bit easier. It's it's never easy, but it's at least a little bit easier because you know you worked through it and accomplished whatever goal you were trying to accomplish. And it it makes that next time easy. And not that you should should relish it, but you should like you should want to get tested. You should want adversity because it's going to make you better going forward. And as we all know, there's a lot of adversity in the real world. So if you're not tasting a lot of it as a college or a youngster, you're going to taste it at some point, and then it's going to be a culture shock because once you get punched in the mouth, then it's going to be a little bit tougher there. Well, you know, Ed Chef, legendary Ed Chef, and, and I did the same thing. My first two weeks of practice in junior college were boxing and towel wrestling, and uh, I needed you to get punched in the mouth. Because baseball is a game you're going to get punched in the mouth. And yep. you've got to learn how to get back up and go back after it. It's not it's not rainbows, baby. And I need you to feel those, those people feelings and learn how to deal with them. And the sooner the better. And you've talked about Alex Bregman. How rewarding was it to coach the 2014 Olympic team with Alex on the team? You know, Dave Van Horn and Rob Childress were sitting, and Steve Rodriguez at Baylor. We're sitting on there and Dave turns around and he goes, gentlemen, have you ever ridden on a bus with this many millionaires? And I go, no, nah, I haven't. And that's what it was about. And then it was fun to watch those kids because they're really just, they're kids. Yes. They're kids. They're enjoying their time. They enjoy the game. They enjoy each other. Chemistry on the team was fun. It was, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was really fun. And we didn't, we didn't, we grinded it. I mean, we grinded it. And then we got on a bus and drove up and down the East coast and ate bologna sandwiches and got off at one o'clock in the morning, got up at seven and did it again. And I enjoyed the heck of it. It was an old Sally league to me. I even had a picture. We found a lady came to the ballpark and had an old picture of Dave Van Horn in the minor leagues. And he looked just like Matthew McConaughey. And we laughed our tail. <laughs> Coach Van Horn is one of my favorites. He was oh, I when him. I was coaching I at Western, we'd go play there and he was always great to us. He he never forgot. He's never forgotten where he came from. The last time I was there, um midweek game and they're getting a little bit of rain and we had to hit inside and we're coming across the the way and I got into the dugout early and I look over and Coach Van Horn's over there with a rake, raking the warning track and our guys came in, I'm like, and, and players are oblivious now. I said, guys, you know who that is? They're like, no. I'm like, hey, that's their head coach who's over there raking the warning track right now. And I go over to talk to Coach Van Horn. I'm like, Coach Van Horn, he goes, hey, the grounds guys won't let me work on the dirt. So this is the only place I get to rake now is the, the warning track. <laughs> he has to do it. I, I remember the story of him when him and Rob, when he and Rob were at uh, – Texarkana first starting out and they were trying to build a backstop together. And he said, it was like Larry and Mo, but they got it done, but it was classic story. Classic. Is this kind of the reason you love um, being on the college baseball hall of fame committee? I mean, I, I think it's wonderful that it's there. Is, is that one of the reasons that you're on the committee? Well, I'm think the, one of the reasons that I'm on the committee is because um, the guys that started the college baseball hall of fame again, are from Lubbock, Texas. Yeah, great and, baseball announcer too, Gus. Gus. Oh, is, Gus is the best. He's a great he's baseball announcer. I love. I loved. You know, that's a great thing about college baseball now is how many games are on. I always loved flipping on a Texas Tech game because you knew you're going to get to listen to him talk about baseball. He's good at it. He he played for the legendary Bobby Magels and wrote a book just recently about Bobby 
Um, Bobby was the winningest coach in Texas for a long time. And, um, well, those guys are my friends and, and they started this conversation about, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if Lubbock would start to cause baseball hall of fame again over barbecue and a couple of cold ones there in Lubbock. And I'm friends with him, Brad Walker and, and Gus, and they've done a great job and, and baseball owes them. And man, I appreciate him. I got pictures of Gus when he was wearing his braces as a sophomore second baseman at level Monterey. I, I can share that with you. <laughs> You know, and I think it's good because, you know, we have our Hall of Fame, but I think there's going to be guys outside our area that, that need to get recognition as well. Um, you know, I think it, it hits on all fronts there. With our Hall of Fame, their Hall of Fame, you're going to get a little bit of different flavor around college baseball with it. So, you know, I, I love the fact. I, I like reading ours, but I like reading their stuff too, like who they're letting in. It's awesome. Well, it it should be a coordination because there's a lot of guys – that I've seen put positive footprints that weren't on the national stage, didn't get on a television set that have done tremendous, you know, I, I was kind of pushing for Lloyd Simmons to get in and Lloyd deserves it. I mean, Lloyd Simmons got after it really hard in Juco for a long, long time. And he, you know, people, people were making rules in Juco and demanding them because they were getting outworked by Lloyd. And that's the only reason those rules were being put in play. <laughs> oh, I love it. There's always those trendsetters, man. You got to adjust to the trendsetters. He was a trendsetter, baby. He worked at it. He worked at it. There's a ton of them. They're everywhere. The coach at LaPorte in, in Indiana. How about that guy? In Asher, Oklahoma. How about that guy? I mean, we can start walking around. I used to drive around the country and I only had a thousand dollar recruiting budget. So I just, it was, it was, you know, gas money's all it was. And, um, uh, so I would divide the country into quarters and drive around and just meet the guys who knew who the players were. I didn't, I didn't even watch a kid play. I wanted those guys to get to know me. So they would send me a good player and the amount the the c- cool people that I met in Chicago and, and Michigan and New York and, and Georgia and California and Washington, man, they're everywhere. And they're just good old guys who want to learn the game and love kids. Yep. You usually find them behind a barbecue pit, making hot dogs for all the kids leaving the field. Exactly. You're a 44 year continuous member with the ABCA. Did your uncle get you involved? I mean, who, who, who made the push for you? You on your young coach, like, Hey, this would be something good for you to do. No, Uncle Dick blew my nose and did all the rest of the stuff for me. He raised me. Uncle Dick, yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, when I was a kid and I go to the convention, we went to um, – When was your first one? Do you remember what your first convention was? I think it was Houston at the Shamrock Hotel, um, late 70s, um, somewhere in there. And I'm sitting at a table and John Herbalt and my uncle Dick are sitting there just chumming it up and having a good time. And, and I didn't know who John was. I'm good to meet you. Thank you. Can you mind if I call you? And he said, yeah, just don't call me collect. We didn't have cell phones back then. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you if you need to talk, if you can't find Dick. So that's what the, the convention was about was sitting down and making connections with somebody that would help the younger guys figure it out. Yep. Yep. And, and what a great deal. I mean, everybody in the world now looks forward. I can't, they've already got it circled. They can't wait to get there. Um, and everything is just, you, you can't wait to go down and see all the gadgets the guys are making up to help baseball. And, and, and I think it, I think we're going to be as close as we can get it with the virtual this year. And um, yeah, I'm just going through the training right now without, being in the room next to somebody, it's going to be as close as, as we can get it. And I think after January 10th, I think everybody's going to look up and be like, okay, that was for all things considered. Uh, I think it was as good as, as you could get it without actually being in a, in a room together. So I'm excited Absolutely. to see what you think, um, afterwards. Cause we're working our tails off right now to make this thing great for everybody. So I'm really interested to see what everybody thinks afterwards. Um, you know, what, what do you think? I mean, you were on the USA with Andrew Bartman and a shout out to Andrew Bartman. 
he let me live with him, him and Nicole, they're saints. They let me live with them in the fall. Uh, when I moved out here, my family stayed back in Illinois to let them get through the school year. But shout out to Coach Bartman and Nicole for letting me stay with them. Again, that's just another great uh, reminder of how great baseball the baseball community is that people do things like that for other people, which they don't have any business doing that. So I do want to give Andrew and Nicole a huge shout out. But I mean, you were on that virtual clinic. I think the the game and community has pivoted as good as they can. I mean, what are your thoughts on some of the virtual stuff that's going on right now? Um, it's as good as you can, it's as good as you can do with what we have and it's working. I mean, We'd have taken this back in the 70s. We would have thought this was like, wow, it's like flying to the moon. This is awesome. For sure. For sure. Yeah, this this is a great effort. You know, Dave Kylis, what a group, you know, yep. that family. Yes. And, the, and, you, and, the, and you're hiring, like yourself and Bartman, you're hiring people of the same cloth to continue the great tradition. And, and you're being very, they're very selective about who they pick. And, they, and you're, you're an example of that is that solid people, man. Character means everything. And so, yeah, you're doing it right. I appreciate it. Coach, what are some final thoughts on trying to simplify hitting? I think we've overcomplicated a lot of things. And what are some of your final thoughts on how to bring some simplicity back to hitting? I think that um, now now you can, now you got to get to where you're not caught up in the fake news. Um, you can go online and get fake news 24 yep. seven and you got to find, you got to find some guys that'll teach you that your feet are your timing and your, and your legs are your power. And then you're, you know, you 90% of the kids growing up, move their head. They don't even know it. And, um, uh, your eyes, you know, just the fundamentals, just under, this is common sense. This isn't rocket science. This is common sense. And the game will tell you, go find the best pitcher you can find to bat off of and try to reach that level because we lower the bar now and and don't lower the bar go compete and you'll figure this out and and try to be who you are not who somebody else is and and try to learn the the nuances and the artistic part of this game and you know we don't talk about base on balls that's really a big deal well, yeah, that, that leads to approach, right? I mean, it not yeah. not that you're expecting to walk because you have to have an aggressive approach in there while you're in there. And, it's, yes, it's hit, hit, hit until the ball's not a strike anymore. But that goes into having a good approach. You know, do you talk with your team? Are you talking much about the walks? I mean, or yes. is it just something that is a byproduct of having a good approach? No, we'll show them what they do. Like it will show them a game situation. Like guy gets on lead off double. How's he going to pitch you now? Yep. You know, the, he's not really, the pitcher's not calling the pitches, the pitching coaches. And, and you can see a pattern in the pitching coach, how he approaches the situation, know what to expect. Knowing what to expect is big. And I've seen, I don't know, I, you know, I've seen a lot of baseball. So I can tell you what's coming. I can tell you what they're <laughs> going to do. I want you to be able to do that. And, and oh, I love it. I love it. And you know, it's I've been so fortunate. Dwayne Banks. Dwayne Banks has been very Great man. Me. Dwayne, best friends with my uncle Dick. Um, you know, I just we were teaching each other. We didn't have it all figured out. We, I'm 65 years old. I still want to learn. I, the nights I would spend with Tony Gwynn and listening to him about consistency, I'll put this challenge in front of the whole country right now. Every kid that swings a bat, go in your tunnel, take the L screen and put it at the back of the, of the cage, the very back, 60 feet away, 70 feet away. Put your tee right in the middle of the plate, put it belt high if you like it, and see if you can hit the upper square of the L screen 10 times in a row. I bet you can't. I completely agree, coach, because when you would Don't have it. guys do that, they couldn't do it 10 times in a row. And that's as simple as you can get it to being a good hitter is if you could do that 10 times in a row. Tony Gwynn said, can you repeat the swing? That simple. Thank you for your time, coach. This was awesome. You made this, this actually seemed like five minutes and we went for over an hour. I love you guys. You do a great job. It's a positive, positive situation. And 
God bless all the guys that started this organization and hopefully you younger guys will continue it in the same fashion. Yep. Just trying to make you guys proud. You have. God bless you. Thank you, sir. Thanks again to Coach Birmingham for coming on the podcast. Congrats to him and the Lobos program on the Santa Ana Starfield $3.65 million stadium renovation. Time flew on this one. Things that stuck out to me besides the sheer baseball knowledge that Coach Birmingham has are great hitters are comfortable making adjustments, and you have to crawl before you walk and walk before you run. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in our office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram at RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Oh